All right, we're going to get started here. I, I'm going to preach to you about something that might be an interesting topic for some of you, but uh, I'm going to preach to you about the happy pill. How many of you know that in the Bible there's a happy pill that you can take? Would well, you want to know what that is? Good. Uh, I want you to turn uh, in your Bibles to the last chapter in the book of Cinderella. And if you go to the last book in that chapter, you're going to see at the very end, it's going to say happily ever after, okay? And then you can turn uh, in your Bibles after that to the, last, to the book of uh, Sleeping Beauty and go to the last chapter in the, in the book of Sleeping Beauty, and you're going to see that uh, it's happily ever after is going to be the last words. And the same thing with the book of Snow White, three of the popular books amongst children. Uh, you're going to find out that it's happily ever after. How many of you know that we are raised... In, uh, in, when, when in the Disney culture, that uh, everything is supposed to be happily ever after. Yep. How many of you believe that when you grew up? Yep. Everything's just supposed to work out. I was reminded of this recently because my daughter, Lainey, um, who has seen all those movies, we try to keep her watching, obviously, appropriate movies for her age. And so all these types of movies, she's seen the classic ones, the new ones, and everything's always happily ever after, and so everything always works out. And we try to shield our kids from bad endings. We don't want them to see bad endings, right? Because then we have to try to explain, like, why it didn't work out or why the person, you know, didn't make it to where they were trying to go or whatever. Well, recently, uh, my daughter watched a part of, not the whole thing, so I'm not a terrible parent, um, but watched a part of the Titanic, And if you remember how that ended, as a matter of fact, I'm going to show you how it ended, okay? I'll get you all sad. Go ahead and turn those lights off real quick. Grab those lights for me, my friend. Or not. There you go. Well, keep checking them. Keep looking. Is there anyone alive up there? Can anyone hear me? Jack, there's a boat. Jack, 
Jack. 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 There's a boy, Jack. Jack. again, huh? How many of you cried the first time you saw it? The rest of you are liars. Oh, I didn't cry. I'm a man. I don't cry. I cried, and I cried last night when I was finding the clip, and it's just a sad, sad moment. Because, you know, we are actually, we're designed for joy. We're designed to be happy. And we have a desire inside of our heart to, to have a happy ending. To, to, for the, for, to be happily ever after. To be happy. We're designed to be happy. We're designed to be content. We're designed to be full of joy. God actually designed our heart to be happy. How many of you believe that? Yep. And so I, I'm going to teach you today about the happy pill in the Bible. The, the, the thing that will bring uh, complete joy, that will bring happiness into your life. And before I do that, though, I want to talk a little bit about the things that trap us on our journey to happiness. Things that will help you recognize in your life 
that when you're going down these paths and you're expecting them to bring happiness into your life, you'll realize uh, that they are just traps. And there are three things, and they're spelled out in 1 John 2, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So those are the three things that will trap you. And I'm going to kind of show you this in the word of God. The first one is lust of the flesh. We're going to call it pleasure. Lust of the eyes, which is possessions. And pride of life, which is prestige. So pleasure, possessions, and prestige. Now, none of those things are bad or evil. If you have a nice house or a nice car or a nice boat or, or you just enjoy doing things that are pleasurable or uh, if you, you are looking to be prestigious or to advance in your career or to have a title or, or, or some letters at the end of your name or whatever it may be, none of those things are evil. As a matter of fact, they, they're, it's really your attitude that determines whether or not they're wrong in your life. Your attitude of whether or not you're looking to those things to ultimately make you happy. So the question today is, what are you looking for in your life to make you happy? Because if it's one of these three things, it's a trap. I'm going to show you this. Let's talk about pleasure for a moment. Pleasure is the idea of, I want to have fun. I want to be happy. I want to feel good. It really is the basis for addiction. So it's the idea that I find something that's pleasurable, that I enjoy the experience. And then I convince myself that if I keep doing it more and more and more, that it'll finally lead me to the ultimate place of being happy and content in my life. Because I'm not happy. And when I do this drug or I do this thing or I gamble or whatever the addiction is, uh, if I do it a whole lot until it's just all I do, every chance I get, I'm going to do it that it'll ultimately lead to happiness. And what we find out is it's a trap. Because our flesh is never satisfied. If you're on a journey to satisfy your flesh through things that you enjoy, you will never be content. It might be eating pizza. Or donuts. I, I went in the lobby and somebody had donuts and uh, I, uh, I rebuked them <laughs> under my breath. No, I didn't eat one. I'm trying to be healthy. I'm juicing. Can you imagine me juicing? But I am. I'm on the health. I have been trying to be healthy for about three weeks now and I have never felt worse in my entire life. My body is withdrawing <laughs> from all of the chemicals and nonsense. I've had headaches. Anyways, my balance has been off. I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> but you know, our flesh demands more and our flesh is never satisfied. And oftentimes we throw tantrums as adults. I call them adult versions of tantrums. But they still are tantrums or the same motivation that a child has when they go berserk and all mad and everything. Except we've just learned to mask it in stupidity. So our tantrums look like this. We're upset because we can't get something that we want or we're not, we don't have the money to do something or we're the, the time or the weather didn't cooperate. And we just, 
and your spouse or your friend says to you, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. I'm just going through something personal. No, you're throwing a tantrum because you didn't get something you wanted because you think whatever it is that if you get it, you'll be happy. I know there's no one here like that. I'm the only one. I understand that. The second thing is possessions. That's the idea of if I only had. If I only had, fill in the blank, I would be happy. If I only had a new house, a new car, if I only had that new set of golf clubs, if I only had this or that, I will be happy. It's all, all I've ever wanted was just a nice house. And if I get it, I'll be happy. It's the idea of things will make you happy. Possessions. It's interesting because I, I was watching this. Uh, I was doing some research on the idea of happiness, not just from a scriptural perspective, but I wanted to see what really, really smart people in the world had to say about happiness. And there's a guy, his name is Arthur Brooks, and he runs, he's the president or founder of the American Enterprise Institute, which is this massive conglomerate of uh, really smart economists and really smart uh, sociologists and just really smart people that do all these interesting kind of human study, if you will, or the study of, of sociological tendencies and, and what makes people happy. And so they were doing these really in-depth research studies about, about happiness. And, and they did an interesting thing. They, you're going to find this really neat. They, they found a recent quadriplegic, someone that had an accident that lost the use of their arms and legs. And then they found a person who recently won the lottery. And they compared over time what their level of contentment or happiness was. This is interesting. They found out that the life cycle of something that either makes you sad or something that makes you happy, specifically something that's supposed to bring happiness and enjoyment, is about six months on average. So if you have a big event in your life, you get a brand new car, you get a house, you have that baby you've been wanting, or whatever it is, you, you get in a relationship with the guy or girl that you've been dreamed of dating, they say it takes about six months for the bump in your happiness level, your contentment level, to actually come down to normal, to where you were before. And it takes about six months for that cycle to complete itself. So they studied the quadriplegic, the recent quadriplegic, and they studied the, uh, the lottery winner, and they watched them until they hit the six-month mark. And what they found was after six months, the quadriplegic was able to return after having this really difficult um, life-altering changing accident. They were able to return at a state right about where they were prior to the accident in their level of contentment and happiness after six months. They were able to process through what had happened. They still wanted to do everything they could to get the use of their arms and legs back. But as far as their level of contentment and happiness in life, after six months, they were able to recuperate and regain their level of contentment that they had before. The lottery winner, on the other hand, after about six months, in that six-month time period, normally they kind of do the things they've always wanted to do. They can plan just about anything in six months, go on a world trip, do whatever it is. After that six-month period, when, when the ability to do whatever they want, whenever they want, and have the money to do it began to wear off, they found out that the lottery winner actually didn't go back to their normal state of contentment the day before they bought the ticket but they actually went below that level of contentment. So they were actually less happy six months after they won the lottery than they were the day before they bought the ticket. 
Because what they found was the simple things in life that bring us contentment and happiness, uh, like family, uh, like friends, just the small, simple things in life, like being able to go out on a date, you know, once a month with your spouse and splurge on steak and lobster or whatever it is, something that you really enjoy, those simple little things no longer mattered to the person with money because they could get it anytime they wanted to. And then their interactions with family and friends were tainted because they always had questions in their mind for the motivation behind their family and friends wanting to be with them or around them. So they couldn't even enjoy their relationships anymore because the money tainted everything. And so they compared these two and found that you were better off from a level of contentment becoming a quadriplegic than you were winning the lottery. Crazy, right? But it just proves that possessions is a trap. Possessions doesn't mean that you're going to be happy because of them. Pastor Jan, are you saying that I'm evil because I want to live in a nice house? No, I want you to live in a nice house. Are you saying I'm evil because I want a nice car? No, I want you to drive a nice car. Give me a ride. Dominate your old one to me, all right? What I'm saying is if you think it's going to make you happy is where you've gone wrong. The last thing is prestige, that image is everything, that, that we are so status conscious sometimes that we believe that our net worth, uh, our, that we believe that our, our net worth is somehow tied to um, our value and worth to the people around us. It's the idea that, that if I have this degree, if I have this job, if I'm able to make VP or if I'm able to become the CEO, if I'm able to just to get one more step up the ladder, um, regardless of what it does to the bottom line of my income, if I have just a little more power and influence, I'm a little bit more prestigious in my life, that I will be happy. I won't be the underling anymore. I'll be the powerful one. That will make me happy. But once again, it leads us down a path of being trapped. And our whole society, commercials, you name it, Everything is designed around making you think that if you buy it or if you have it or if you get this service or whatever it may be, you will be happy. I found a commercial, a Folgers commercial, that's one of the most uncomfortable commercials I've ever seen when it comes to making you think that everything's going to be okay if you drink Folgers. I'm going to show you this real quick. P.S. The first service didn't get to see this. must have the wrong house. Sister. <laughs> oh, I missed you so much. They waited up all night for you, you know. It's a long way from West Africa. Oh, coffee. He's here. I brought you something from far away. <laughs> really? Oh. <laughs> what are you doing? You're my present this year. Does anybody feel massively uncomfortable during that commercial? It's like, so, everybody knows that no brother and sister love each other that much. If your kids don't get along, just brew Folgers. 
It'll change it. It is. It just wakes you up in the morning. You feel great about life. My brother. Hey. The best part of waking up is Aaron not in my house. <laughs> I mean, like. And then happy, I don't know how they twisted in the happy holidays at the end. It's like, happy holidays, the brother's home, brother and sister are, you know, in love with each other, and mom and dad, mom and dad are just waking up. She says, they've been up all night waiting for you, but they're not up all night. They're still sleeping. It's very confusing. But all I know is, is trying to tell us, if you drink Folgers, everything will be okay. Right? And my brother Jim is a coffee snob, amongst other things that he's a snob of. And coffee is one of them. And he would disagree with Folgers being the answer to all things. But, but I'm telling you, everything around us is trying to tell us this is what will make you happy. And it's, so many of it is just a trap. It doesn't mean that you can't drink Folgers. But if you think it's going to be what makes you happy, what's going to lead to ultimately being happily ever after and raising your level of contentment and joy in your life. It really is a trap. And so we see this in two Bible stories. I'm going to get through these quickly because I want to be able to get to the main point here. We see this in the story of Adam and Eve. When Adam or when Eve is tempted by, by uh, the serpent to eat that, that from the tree of good and evil, to eat from the forbidden tree. Um, if you skip down, Casey, if you'll go uh, to verse 6. It says, when the women saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. Now, let's think about this for a second. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasure, when it was a delight to the eyes, possessions, and when the tr- when the, that the tree would make her wise, prestige, all three things. She took from the fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, I want you to see that pattern, the three things that the enemy uses to trick Eve. Now, wait for it. You ready for this? We're going to move to the story of Jesus being tempted. You're going to see these three things again. Matthew 4, Jesus was led up by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became what? Hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become bread. He tempted him with pleasure, the pleasure of eating when you're hungry. That's pleasure. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. He's appealing to his prestige, his power, his authority with the angels. He says, throw yourself down. The angels will come and get you because you're Jesus. So show off how powerful you are. And of course, we know Jesus' response he says, uh, oh, on the other hand, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against stone. And Jesus said, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the third one, possessions. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, all these things I will give you. 
All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil left him and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. So we see here that the same three things that were used to tempt Adam and Eve, the same three three traps of the enemy happens to Jesus. The only difference is Eve fails the test and Jesus passes the test with flying colors. That's the difference between the two stories. But it's the same attack, the same sly attack, the same masked attack, camouflage attack on trying to lure in into the trap of this will make you happy, this will make you content, this will give you joy in your life. These three things. So what's the difference? What do we find? Where in the word of God do we actually find the happy pill? Where do we find the one thing that will bring ultimate contentment and happiness in our life? We find it in Psalm 16. I'm going to read this because we're running out of time, but I want, I want to get through this for you. Listen to this. There, a bunch of Psalm 16 is talking about and getting around the idea, but at the end of it, we'll see what it is. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no one good besides you. For the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lions have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. For I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I will set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. And here it is. In your presence is fullness of joy. And if you look up fullness of joy in the Bible, you're only going to find one place where it says this. It's right here. It's the only place it talks about fullness of joy. There's other things that bring joy into our life. This is the only place where it talks about fullness of joy. And fullness of joy means a complete, happily ever after level of contentment and joy. The thing that we've strived for since children is found in this one thing. It's in his presence. And if you read this chapter with that in mind, you'll see over, it says, well, I've blessed the Lord. I will set the Lord continually before me. It's the idea that I will allow the Lord in his presence into everything that I do. For he knows it will bring fullness of joy. Now, I'm preaching this because I've walked this out for the last couple of weeks I want to tell you about my last two weeks. This is not for you to feel bad for me. As a matter of fact, if you come up to me later and say, oh, I feel so bad for you, I'm going to punch you, all right? A pastoral punch. It won't be hard. So for the last two weeks, uh, uh, maybe three weeks, let's start it off with, um, I had uh, about two and a half weeks ago, I had an air conditioner go down. Um, not one, but two, but they couldn't happen on the same day because that would mean I would just call the company one time. So two air conditioners go down in the middle of those two air conditioners going down. I had a sink that backed up. Um, and because the sink backed up my dishwasher, which I recently fixed. So my wife had a dishwasher, um, had a, uh, whoever ultimately installed the dishwasher didn't put a clamp on the drain hose of the dishwasher. 
And so when the sink backed up and the dishwasher tried to get rid of the water inside of it, it created pressure, blew off the hose, and let about uh, 15 gallons of water underneath my um, wood floor in my kitchen, which lifted up about 20 square feet of my wood floor, came popping off the ground. So in the middle of all that, uh, within a couple days of all that happening, I, uh, I busted my big toe on my left foot. And uh, I, I was pretty sure that I broke it, but I had to wear sandals for about a week and a half and was just in a bunch of pain, ripped the whole front of it off. Uh, while that was going on, um, we fi- I finally got the floor fixed. And last Sunday, I had about a week of feeling halfway decent, um, Besides the fact I got a root canal in the middle of all that. I forget to mention that. And then they put a temporary crown on my, my tooth, which broke twice. So I was in the dentist's office five times in two weeks. The last time was the day after they put the crown on to do a cavity, which I was really excited about. And in the middle of all this, last Sunday night... I uh, was out shooting a new intro video with Stephen and Michael for something we're going to have here at the church for our intro uh, to service. And we were walking down some steep rocks on the water that was slippery. And uh, I had a tripod in my left hand and I slipped and fell, broke my right thumb, busted up two more toes on my left foot, (laughs) scraped the side of my leg and generally felt like I had fallen downstairs. Gets better. This week, my sink started leaking, so the wood floor that we had just put down, two more of the planks popped up because the sink started leaking. It's a whole other story. And then uh, uh, the other morning, I woke up because my foot was just starting to feel a little bit better. I wasn't limping around, and I hit my pinky toe on my left foot. That's why there's still blood on my sock, if you can see. Four days later, it's still bleeding. I don't understand that. But anyways, I busted my pinky toe. I'm pretty sure broke it. Got blood everywhere, the whole deal. And so that was, that was about a day had gone past. I'd gone back to the dentist, gotten all that fixed. Thursday night, I said, you know what? I got to relax for a night. It's opening night of football. I've got a left foot beat up. My thumb's beat up. My mouth feels like they've been shooting, shooting bullets in it or something. And I said, we're just going to relax and have a night of Thursday night football. So I invited some friends over. And uh, um, my brother and a couple of friends over to watch the football game that are all in our fantasy league here at the church. And we walked downstairs to turn the TV on. And my entire downstairs floor was flooded in sewage. (laughs) Now, does God hate me or what? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So... When I mean flooded in sewage, I mean flooded. All I need to do, all I knew to do was FaceTime my mom. I just FaceTimed my mom. I didn't say a word. I just turned the camera around and I'm like, mom, look at this. <laughs> She's like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. So anyways, we had to get the septic tank pumped at the midnight, which they charged me double of what they normally do because they had to pump it in the middle of the night. Couldn't use the showers. Couldn't get Laney ready for school in the morning. On and on and on and on. So that has been my last three weeks. But this is what's crazy. I have not lost one ounce of joy. Now, you'd be clapping a lot more if you understood what that meant for me. Right? I haven't lost one. I'm so happy hobbling around with my broken thumb. Now, the miracle of it was a friend of mine who owns a flooring company happened to be there with two 
uh, shop vacs and the wands and the hoses, and I couldn't get in the sewage because I had an open wound on my foot, and which can get infected. And this friend of mine cleaned everything up for me, which was very nice. All I had to do was mop it, and so that was uh, that was the Lord was looking at me for. Never, nevertheless, I have remained so joyful and happy through it. I haven't beat my wife one time. It's a, I'm sorry, that wasn't funny, all right? That's a terrible joke. No, but I haven't been, she's wanted to beat me every time. I'm like, I can't do that, honey, my leg, my foot. Um, I have been so happy and contented. I said, Lord, what is it that keeps us happy in the middle of stuff like this? Because this isn't an every time deal for me. What keeps us happy through everything going berserk and falling apart and, and, and falling and getting beat up and all the stuff going wrong that can go wrong. And I know many of you are going through much more difficult stuff than I'm describing now. What can keep us content in the middle of all of that? And we find it here in Psalm 16 where it says, in his presence is fullness of joy. Well, Dan, what does that mean? Does this mean if I'm just saved, I just have his presence? No, that's not what I'm talking about. It's not just about saying, I love the Lord. It's about taking time to connect with God in a way that, that ministers to your heart, that whatever you do, you carry the presence of God with you. We're not called just to experience the presence of God. We're called to carry his presence. See, we're vessels which means we contain something. And we can contain all the garbage that's going on in our life and the difficult stuff and the strife and the anger and resentment or whatever and the, and the worry. We can contain that or we can decide to replace that with God's presence in our life that we don't have room for all the stuff that normally drags us down. Now, this is interesting. As I finish this up, this is interesting. They found out, this guy Arthur Brooks from the American Enterprise Institute, that there's four areas, and I'm not going to, well, these aren't points, so hold on, I'm not going to go off here. This, there's four areas that people experience levels of contentment and happiness in. The four areas, based on, ready for this, the ones that are most important are first. This is a completely secular organization. Do you know what they found to be number one? Faith. They found that faith brought the most contentment and joy into people's lives. Now, we're like, amen, that's great, that's wonderful. But I don't always see that manifest within the church, if you know what I mean. Generally speaking. Faith. Family. Community, which is your community of friends and acquaintances and people that you hang out with. And then work. In that order, faith, family, community, and work. Now, if those are from a secular perspective, from a sociological and psychological perspective, if those are the four areas that have the ability to add to contentment and, and to the level of happiness in our life, what would it look like if we learned to carry God's presence into all four of those things? that our faith is actually rooted in a connection with him and hosting who he is in our life, that our family relationships, we carry God's presence into those. In our community relationships, our friends who we hang out with, our Saturday nights, we take God with us. Our workplace, we host God's presence. You can learn to host God's presence through a bunch of things, and that's another message for another time. 
But you can, you can learn to host God's presence through prayer, meditation, reading his word, worship, just times of quietness. You can just take a moment out and recognize that God is your savior. He loves you and he wants to talk to you and wants to know you. Just taking that time out and putting everything else aside in your life, it sounds trivial, it sounds meaningless, but it'll allow you to bring God in his presence with you everywhere you go. And in his presence, there is fullness of joy. You know what you're going to find out? The happiest people you know are the people that take time out to hang out with God. Because they leave those encounters with a fresh experience with God and they bring his presence with him. And in his presence, there's fullness of joy. How many of you would say this? And, and if you don't want to say this, just lie and lift your hand anyway. But how many would say that at some point during service, whether it's in worship or whatever it is, that you just feel God's joy. You just feel happy. How many of you leave here happier than when you walked in? Genuinely. Well, guess what? This is not the only time that you can experience God's happiness and joy in your life. You could have church every day. If you think there's something special about this group up here, you don't know them. There's nothing special about this. There's surely nothing special about this, except my socks, which are always special. There, there's nothing special about this. What's special is we've taken time out to say, God, you are worthy of us and our time and our affection. And we want to hang out with you. And when you hang out with somebody, come on, you begin to act like them. You begin to talk like them. They become a part of your life. And so it may not look like an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minute service for you in the middle of the week. It just might be five minutes. I dare you to do a little experiment. If you get really angry on your job and you just seem to lose your joy every time when you leave your work, you're just like, I have had it. I am just so upset. If that's you, and nobody that works here raise your hand, but if that's you, what would happen if you took that one worship song that just ministers to your heart? Like the one that you just, you just get all the feels with. You just know that you connect with God. What would happen if... Five minutes before you went into work, you got there early enough to spend five minutes in your car listening to that song before you walked out of your car and you determined to take God with you as you walked into work. What would change in your level of contentment and happiness? I dare you to experiment with that. I would bet you, based on the word of God, that you would leave work a heck of a lot happier than you normally do. Just simple things like that. Simple adjustments in our schedule and our priorities and in our life will begin to change our level of joy and contentment and happiness dramatically. And if you are down and out and just no complete lack of joy and just discontent in your life, hang out with God a little bit and spend time in his presence. Is it really that simple? Yeah, it's that simple. Is it really going to work? Or just another one of your... No, it's going to work. It'll work every time. You got it? The happy pill. It's his presence. There's fullness of joy.
Stand to your feet. Might seem crazy what I'm about to say. <laughs> Sunshine, something, something, hmm. Hey, it's that simple. We're born to be happy. Whoever lied to you and said, you know, you're just a melancholy person and you just don't get happy, that's what the, exactly what it was. It was a lie. We were designed to be full of joy and happy. Every single person in this room was designed for happiness, was designed to have a snow white Cinderella life and be happily ever after. Doesn't mean you won't go through something, but you can go through something and still be happy in the process. Amen? Amen. All right. Father, we, are you going to cue up that song for me, even though I just randomly ESP'd it to you? All right, Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for all that you have for us, and that, Lord, in your presence there is fullness of joy. And, Lord, we receive that. Lord, we determine in our hearts not to fall into the traps of pleasure, possessions, and prestige that will draw us back, Lord, into a place of discontentment in our life, Lord, that has such a lack of joy. But, God, we realize those are traps. Lord, they're not evil, but, Lord, they're never going to lead to happiness in our life that only you and your presence can bring true happiness and joy and contentment in our life. So God, we receive all that you have for us and we determine in our hearts to take time out to spend with you that we would become vessels and carriers of your presence, that wherever we went, we'd bring you with us. Because Lord, that is where we will find fullness of joy, where we will find happiness, where we will be so content in our life and we can be an example to those around us that in your presence really is fullness of joy. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. amen. Hit it.